Hear ye, ladies and gentlemen, it is my great honor to present to you the Right Honorable, the Lord Baron Destructo, also known as Joe Malazzi. He is a writer and executive producer for a number of popular shows, including the Stargate franchise, Dark Matter, and most recently, Utopia Falls. His Twitter feed is a delightful mix of puppy pictures, behind-the-scenes glimpses, and questionable food choices. He also has a great connection with his fans, which is how he arrives on my show today. Joe Malazzi, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. That's a pretty uh, rocking intro. I was. Well, uh, do you mean like the music? Yeah. yeah, that's that was put together by co-producer Cliff, um, who is uh, my. He's he's my co-producer on this particular show. Um, I'm usually the one that does the Beyond a Doubt type stuff because you know it's my last name, so I kind of got to do it. The pun doesn't really work when you say Beyond a Thomas. Right. So, um, but but no, he put that together. That's actually a recent addition. So I'm glad you. Uh, I approve. I like. like it. That's awesome. Awesome. So, Mr. Malazi, uh, I'm so glad that you are here. As And, and as, as, as I mentioned off the air, this is probably about as close to Starstruck as I'm going to get on this podcast. Because, you know, you not only have your own IMDb page, but also a Wikipedia page, which is fascinating. And I actually want to ask you a question about that. If, to, to, to be <laughs> fair, a lot of people have those. Yeah, but most I think you're the first one that has both on this show. So it's 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 I've had IMDb pages and I've had Wikipedia pages, but I've never had both. Huh. So congratulations well, on that honor. Yeah, thank you. So um, let, let's just dive in. Um, the one thing I wanted to ask you about your Wikipedia page was your Wikipedia page goes into all of your writing credits, but only for Stargate, <laughs> which I thought was actually kind of fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, uh, believe it or not, I have not checked my Wikipedia page, or maybe I, I glanced at it a- ages ago. But uh, I don't know who uh, who updates it. Okay, yeah. I mean, I think I think there's a way to look into that. I haven't dug that deep into Wikipedia to be honest. But um, I, so like, because you have written, you know, let's just kind of run down the the big three. Uh, you know, most recently you had Utopia Falls, where you were an executive producer. Uh, before that, you had Dark Matter, which um, it was fun to learn that that was also a uh, comic book that you produced. So that's that's fun. But then you also had, you know, your involvement with the Stargate franchise, which is obviously how you came to my attention. I showed you my founding member uh, Stargate app patch. Love it. So um, anyway, I am, you know, Stargate is greater than Star Trek is greater than Star Wars in my humble world. Uh, But anyway, so like when you were working on, you know, Dark Matter, let's just that's kind of your baby from start to finish. You were writing episodes for that, were you not? Yes. In fact, uh, I was show running. I was running the room. um, I was making all the executive decisions from from prep through production to post. And I wrote I say half the episodes, and I rewrote okay. all of the episodes because once we get into production, I don't usually carry a writer's room. So if I need to make a change to the script, I'm the one to do that. Interesting. Okay, so and so that's why I find it absolutely fascinating that only your Stargate <laughs> credits are on your Wikipedia page. We need to uh, we need yeah. to get that updated. Someone so. get on that. Yeah. So some somebody with Wikipedia, go go forth and and start updating but anyway so that was just kind of i i just noticed that and it was kind of uh it was kind of amusing to me because i'm like well maybe as an executive producer maybe you don't do a lot of writing but i had to think that that was probably not the case 
But uh, anyway, so let's let's get into the Joe Show. Um, how did you get started in in writing? You know, TV executive producing that whole that whole gig. Where where, where did you get your? What's your origin story? Uh, my origin story is I came at it through animation. Um, you know, I was trying to get my foot in the door as a script reader. I sent my resume out to like a hundred different production companies. Maybe 10 wrote back to say, no, thank you. One wrote back to say, um, you know, we're not looking for script readers, but if you're interested in pitching for one of our shows, Hmm. you know, it's this animated series we're doing and, um, called the busy world of Richard Scarry. And, uh, if we like your idea, we'll buy it. And so I pitched and I sold my first, uh, idea and, um, Ended up writing my first script for The Busy World of Richard Scarry and then just pursued a career in animation writer, uh, in animation writing, development, story editing, and then took the step from animation to live action teen sitcom. I did a show called Student Bodies that we shot in this abandoned high school in Montreal, which was a ton of fun for Fox uh, okay. kids. Uh, and then went and did a couple of. Uh, action adventure series one hour action adventure series had got a few of those under my belt and then ended up on stargate with my former writing partner paul mully and we joined uh the franchise in sg1's fourth season and just kind of stuck around nice so i'm just curious how you came about to work on stargate were you recruited by somebody or were they just like looking for some new thoughts or how did that work they were definitely looking for new thoughts our Mm -hmm. We shared an agent with Robert Cooper, who was okay. uh, you know, eventually co-creator of Stargate Atlantis and Universe and uh, co-showrunner of SG-1 at the time. And our agent, Carl, sent them our pitches, and they liked a couple of our pitches. And so we got on the phone with Brad and Robert, Brad Wright and Robert Cooper, and we talked through our, you know, what we were planning to do. So they sent us to outline. They approved the outline and sent us to script. And... Uh, they liked the script, and based on the script, we ended up landing staff positions for the show's fourth season. Nice. So are you the one that killed off Daniel for a season? I'm just curious. Uh, I'm it, it, in I'm fact, kidding. it was not me. <laughs> but, it, you know, I, I look back at that episode, and it's a, uh, it's quite a uh, heart-wrenching episode. Especially that it last really scene is. where, uh, you know, he says goodbye to Jack and uh, heads yeah. through the gate. It, it, it is. It, it, and... And for the record, I actually digged uh, Corey Nemec's, um his character, whose name Jonas. escapes me. Jonas Quinn. Jonas. Well, you didn't love I him mean, that much, I guess. Well, no. So here's the thing. Like, I do not have, as much as I love Stargate and as much as I like, you know, Star Star Trek and Star mm-hmm. Wars, I do not have the encyclopedic knowledge that is required to be considered like an uber fan or a super fan. Like, I just, it's not how I work. It never has been how I work. So like, you know, even with, even with like phones, like I, I don't, I don't know how much you know about me, but I'm a phone reviewer and, you know, mobile stuff. And I frequently have to look up like, oh, what chipset did that phone have and you know stuff like that. i don't have the the snap uh snap trap memory for like various facts and and things like that so you know i i when i go shopping with my wife i have to look for her clothes i can never rec- recognize her face like from down the aisle so it's just like that's not how my brain works but but it's great you're, you're tech savvy which i am not and when you when you know we were preparing for this interview you said you need one of those, uh, you know, uh, headphones that fit over your ears. And I was like, I don't think I have those. And as it turns out, I do. You do. 
Yeah. With with adorable cat ears. Thanks to my wife. Yes. And and that's 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 legit. I mean, it's it's arguably better some, than some of the stuff I've worn on this show. So we're gonna we're gonna go with it. Not to mention, I love the backdrop with the uh, with the yeah. comic characters back there. So Michael that, Cho. Yeah, Iron Man, Batman, and I can't see what the third one. Is. Judge Dredd. Oh, okay. Wow, you are really mixing Com- universes. Yes, there. compliments of Michael <laughs> Cho. And then I've got a bunch of DC stuff, mainly villains. I'm a big fan of the villains. You're a fan of the villains. Okay, I, I can get on board with that. Well, I'm, you know, a lot of people say I'm a jerk, so maybe we'll get along pretty <laughs> well. So that's uh, that's going to work out well. So, okay, so once you got onto the, uh, once you got into the writer's room at Stargate, like, where did you, uh, how, you, you moved, you moved your way through all three series, and I want to kind of ask you, what was it like working within the boundaries of somebody else's universe? Because, you know, obviously somebody else built that world, so you have to, you know, you have to play by their rules. What was that? Did you find that frustrating? Did you find that freeing? Or Not really. I mean, the first script we wrote was an episode called Scorched Earth. Uh, and we, you know, we captured the tone of the series and the voices of the characters or landed close enough that we were able to land uh, staff positions on the show. So, right. you know, it's it, it, obviously, you know, when I compare Stargate to Dark Matter, um, I had certainly more creative leeway in Dark Matter in that it was my show. And yet all the same, when we would get in the room and we would pitch story ideas, you know, as long as we weren't looking to kill off major characters or sometimes if we did and had a pretty a good reason or, or you know in or out uh, yeah. nothing was ever discouraged so it, it was you know I I look back on Stargate fondly just because it was atypical of a lot of productions in that it was a very positive environment not only in the writers room but on set and everyone supported mm-hmm. each other um, it was a very efficient production uh, so that ensuring that the money we had ended up on screen rather than wasted on delays. By the time I joined in season four, Brad and Robert had kind of worked out the bugs. So okay. it, it was a well-oiled machine. Awesome. Awesome. So then we get on to, we'll just kind of fast forward, yada, 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 our way through the next three, <laughs> the next three shows. Um, let's move on to uh, Dark Matter. So Dark Matter originated as a comic that you created with Paul, correct? Uh, it actually originated as an idea I had back while I was working on Atlantis. And I figured when Atlantis ended, I would, you know, we could go out and pitch Dark Matter. Uh, and then we ended up moving on to Stargate Universe and and then another show. And uh, eventually, I think I sat on Dark Matter for, I want to say, five to seven years. And in that time, I'd worked out all the story arcs and, you know, everything from the first season episodes to the what each season was going to be, uh, how the, the show would end. Um, and so when it came time to take it out, we had a script and we reached out to Dark Horse Comics and looked to establish it as a comic book first. And really what I always kind of wanted to do was establish it as a comic book and hoping that that would allow me to finish my story in the event the show ever got canceled, which sadly was not the case. We did four issues, which pretty much comprise the first two episodes of the series. And so we, uh, Jay Firestone, who was the president of uh, Prodigy Pictures, the production company that eventually produced the show, went out, pitched it. He had the comic book with him, which is a great 
kind of visual representation of what the show would be about or would okay. be like. Uh, and then ended up sh- uh, selling the show on that basis. Very cool. Very cool. So I understand you had a five-year plan for Dark Matter. Is that I right? I did. I did. Okay. And we got through three of them. Yes. <laughs> I- I'm kind of curious. Uh, I want to. I want to tackle that entire five-year span if we could. But I want to start off with what was the initial idea that you had for Dark Matter? Was it six people wake up and have no idea who they are, or was there a little bit more to it, or the, like what? The initial idea I had was, uh, as I mentioned, I like bad guys, and I like. Okay. I like the uh, journey of redemption. So you know, I'm a big fan of shows like The Sopranos, or one of my favorite. I keep on harkening back to was um, The Shield. Which, okay. which the pilot is one of my favorites just because it took me by surprise, that final moment. And it just upturned everything. I, you know, subverted my expectations. So that's what I set out to do with Dark Matter, subvert expectations. Um, and because I like bad guys, I thought, okay, you know, I would love for you know, to do a reveal where uh, we find out at the end of the episode that the characters we're going to be following are the bad guys, like they did in The Shield, like they did in, um, Kurt Busiek did in a comic book called The Thunderbolts, the first issue where he introduces these superheroes and at the end you find out that they're villains. Um, Hmm. And so those were the inspirations for Dark Matter and I just had to sort of get there. I mean, I wanted that last, you know, I envisioned that last scene. I'm all about sort of last scenes and that last scene was them discovering they are uh, villains, or worst of the worst, or the the audience discovering it. So, you know, I was like, how could I, what kind of a scenario could I create? And so I went through various um, possibilities and ended up going with the mind wipe, which in itself is not like a hugely original idea. But one of the things (laughs) I always set out to do in Dark Matter is present these sci-fi tropes and then subvert audiences expectations and sort of you know you mentioned you're halfway through season two wait till you get into season three we do a time loop episode we do a kind of a back to the future episode um (laughs) you know we're constantly subverting expectations time loop episodes are my favorite same (laughs) same um yeah i mean you know from star trek you've got um and and again this is the encyclopedic knowledge which i don't have but the episode where they're stuck in the time loop and they end up with kelsey Grammer at the end of it um Mm -hmm. and then uh you know obviously stargate has the famous window window of opportunity opportunity. okay i got that one i I remember that one because (laughs) i wrote it with my you wrote that one yes yes uh that that is Hands down, if not the top favorite episode of mine, it's got to be top three. I mean, it is so good. 200's really good, too. It was a lot um, of fun. So the funnier episodes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So now is is now one thing that Stargate had, you know, Stargate and Stargate Atlantis, not so much universe, was a really good sense of humor. And um, was that was that you? Was that all of the writers? Is that was that an intention going into the show? Like we want this show to absolutely not take itself seriously? You know, it came from the top down, and by the top, I mean Richard Dean Anderson and uh, showrunners Brad Wright and Robert Cooper. Okay. Uh, they Rick especially embraced the humor and occasionally would change lines uh, to make them more humorous. And it's just something okay. that eventually we all embrace. And it's something, it's a type of um, tonally, a type of show I prefer writing. Okay. I, I just find that humor goes a long way towards allowing char- uh, audiences to connect with characters. It's kind of a shortcut. Uh, usually the funnier characters are the ones who are the most popular. So, for instance, McKay. Sure. Uh, you know, on Atlantis and, uh, you know, the android on, on Dark Matter. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, speaking of which, uh, it was nice to see uh, not only David Hewlett, but Tori Higginson and uh, what is his name? Michael, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, Daoud or something like that. Mike, it's Mike very Dobin? similar to mine. Dobit, Dobit, was it? Yeah, was Mike that it? Okay. Yeah. Um, all you know, all the all of those uh, Stargate alumni alumni coming on to Dark Matter has been a bit of a treat, and especially Tori Higginson has like really was is really killing it as yes. the um, as the corporate. Uh, I can't again. I can't remember her name. Commander um, Truffaut. Commander Truffaut. That's yes. it. Um, she is destroying that role. It's it's awesome. Like yeah, and she destroyed it in a good way. Swagger <laughs> a little bit of Mae West. In fact, I wrote the role with Tori in mind. And okay. uh, and she just nails it. That's that's awesome. And you know, speaking of which, I want. I was wondering. I actually, I did kind of wonder about that. Did you write? I mean, obviously, we've already talked about Tori Higginson, but did you write uh, the roles that David Hewlett eventually ca- came to adopt? And um, and and Michael, uh, did you did you write those roles with those actors in mind? Uh, yes, yes, as okay. well. Um, just because I mean, I've worked with them before. I know what they can do. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I know what they they do very well. I know what they do especially well, and so I just kind of wrote to those those, those strengths. Now, in a, in a situation like that, do you have the actors on board already, or are you writing this like with the hopes that you can entice them in? Or? No, sad, sadly, um, you know, even though I think there there were three three individuals who were weighing in on the casting decision. So if it was up to me. You know, they would have. Uh, they would not have even had to audition. But in all cases, right. they had to audition, and and I had to vouch for them as well to, you know, let okay. uh, everyone know. But I mean, they they all nailed the auditions. I don't, you know, I, I, you know, looking back, I don't think there were any second choices at the time. I was gonna say it's kind of hard not to nail the audition when they're mm-hmm. written with the with yes. that particular yeah. actor in mind. It's kind of and and you know you can definitely see a little bit of McKay in. Again, no idea what the character's name is, but. Um, uh, I, I'm hoping you're going to bail me out here, but apparently, um, <laughs> it was years ago. So, in fairness, um, but it's it's it was awesome to see, especially like he did a couple of his first episodes, seemingly like on a kind of a proto Zoom call with the uh, with the ship. But when he showed up in person, that was uh, especially delightful. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I want to talk a little bit about world building if i can um specifically like when it comes to like a world like especially something like utopia falls where you know it takes place on earth in the future i'm guessing at least that's kind of what i gleaned from it correct but there are certain there are certain things in that world that are different than what you know what you would you would feel today whereas like with dark matter it didn't seem like like specifically the 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 example that jumps to mind is like oh my gaia instead of oh my god like Mm -hmm. where i want to talk about like the process of deciding like instead of oh my god i want everybody to say oh my gaia like where does that come from is it and you know, while at the same time, all of my characters speak English. I mean, yeah. Well, yeah. you know, uh, there there are certain <laughs> cheats. The English language changes so much over time, and dark matter takes place three hundred years into the future. So, the language would be, I think, considerably different. And mm-hmm. initially, in the pilot, I actually did put in some. You know, sort sort of like our version of Frack and Frau. Um, okay, but 
But Paul, for some reason, bumped on it and he didn't love the idea. So we just kept it uh, familiar colloquial. Uh, in the in With regards to Utopia Falls, I wasn't the creator of the show. I developed the show with creator R.T. Thorne. And he, I'm not sure how long he had kind of worked the idea in his head for, but, he, you know, in his mind, he wanted to include those little touches and, you know, why not? Okay. So Again, it goes to sort of like the evolution of language. Right. And, and, and how do you know when, when a part of that lands and when, it, when you need to move on? Like, you know, obviously, oh my God, I stuck around for throughout the entire first season, but you, you mentioned that you had sprinkled in a little bit of uh, frack and whatnot into the first episode, but I didn't really uh, no, see much. No, of no, no, no. Actually, in the, in the initial draft, it wasn't frack. It was, you know, our version well, of frack. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. 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 So it was in the, in the initial draft and then it was taken out. So it never saw the light of a TV screen. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, like, how do you how do you know or, or, or take a character like you know one um, mm-hmm. his his rather um, spoiler alert from a show seven years ago um, he gets killed in the first episode of season two yes I think yes so like how do you know when it's time to you know okay one you've had your screen time it's time to move on or maybe that was just part it, of the overall plan no in in the best of cases the best scenarios. It's planned from the okay. very beginning. And so you work towards it and pay it off. In um, one of the kind of, uh, I guess, not as great scenarios, it's mm. a result of circumstances beyond your control or a Contract battle you lose or, or no, or the network and the production company uh, demanding a big shakeup uh, to shock mm. the audience which okay. I, I always kind of find those silly. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So that's fair. That's fair. So on the other end, um, when you are writing for a show that is um, – when you're writing for a show – okay, so I, I'm, I'm, I know what I'm trying to ask here, but – you you famously tweeted uh, the tilk the tilk scene with the vagina monologues was uh, something that you wrote as a gag, figuring that a network was going to kill it, but then they just never killed it, and so here you are um, filming this uh, filming this scene. So like, um, in it in its own way, that's both hilarious and a little bit sad <laughs> because the network didn't bother to say no, we're not going to do this scene. So I'm I'm kind of wondering like. Well, what's it? Okay, go ahead. To be fair, I, they said no because I don't think they read the script. At that point, they had canceled the show. So right. they were like, well, you know, these guys are kind of on autopilot. They've been doing it for so long. What's the worst that can happen? And then right. Teal ends up with the <laughs> vagina monologues. Right. Which is which is what I mean when I say it's a little sad. Like, they've already canceled the show. Mm-hmm. They don't care anymore or, you know, to whatever. So I was just kind of wondering, like, what's it like writing for a show that is on its way out? You're tying up loose ends. Like, does that does that have a sad tone to, to it? Or does it have more of like a – is it more like liberating? Because now you can finally finish all these ongoing stories that have been going on. I mean, in cre- uh, creatively, in some respects, it is liberating, but overall, it is sad because, uh, you know, the show went on for 10 years and we were on mm. for, what was it, six of those years? So, or seven of those years? That uh, math checks out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> grade 10, my, my grade 10 math. 
so yeah, it was immensely sad because you're saying goodbye to not only the cast, but you know, a lot of the crew as well. Um, you know, we were by that point we were running two different crews on mm-hmm. SG1 Atlantis producing 40 episodes of television a year. I look back on that, and that's kind of mind-boggling. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it was sad because you so used to seeing those people every day. I would see those people more than I would see my wife. And then, <laughs> you know, ultimately it was time to say goodbye. Okay. All right. Um, so when you're working with characters... Um, you know, and especially in a, in a situation like Dark Matter where you're, you know, this is your world, you know, and, and they're all living in it. Um, how much input does an actor or a director have into like a script as opposed to just like what you're writing? You mentioned that Richard Dean Anderson would, you know, change lines to make things funnier, stuff mm-hmm. like that. But like, I'm just kind of curious, like when it comes to like you're writing for two and, you know, um, Melissa O'Neill, I believe is her name. Correct. So yeah. I know that because of the rookie, though. I'm sorry, <laughs> sorry to say, but um, what, does Melissa O'Neill ever come back to you and say, "I don't think my character would say"? It. I'm, and I don't mean to call out Melissa O'Neill. Yeah, I'm no, just speaking well, hypothetically. It really depends <laughs> on the actors, to be honest with you. Okay. So yeah, I remember I wrote an episode called Prometheus uh, for SG ones. I'm not sure it was their seventh season, um, and in the episode, the Prometheus ship gets hijacked, mm-hmm. and as would often happen, we would send out the script and we would get notes from Brad, Robert, and our other executive producers, Michael Greenberg and Richard Dean Anderson. And I got back Rick's script and it was full of like check marks. And I was like, Rick really liked the script. And I was showing Brad, like, check out all the check marks. And Brad's like, uh, no, check marks are bad. So, uh, <laughs> okay. you know, and, and then I had to sort of obviously retweak that, rejig that, that script. Um, yeah. Whereas... Bo Bridges and and Robert Picardo, two very seasoned actors as well, would always come by the office and say, uh, can, you know, hey, I just wanted to, you know, talk through the script. Is it okay if I change this word from the to an? And I'd be like, okay. yeah, that's, that's fine. <laughs> and I guess they were so used to working on other productions where you could not, from what I understand on, on sci-fi, on, on Star Trek, you know, changing even a single word would require like a call back to the producers and a, you know, a, a debate. So, you know, I, uh, I would always tell the director, specifically on Dark Matter, that I would always want was what was in the script. But if the actor wanted to try something else, you know, I was always happy to let them do a, an, an alternate take and then I could decide when I was in editing. So, for instance, yeah. um, actor... Uh, um, uh, Anthony Lemke, who played the character of Three on Dark Matter, he okay. never had notes after we did the read-through. The whole purpose of the read-through is to get the actors to give us notes. But he never had notes on the read-through. And yet on the day, he would want to try something new. And <laughs> so, uh, you know, he'd always add something, kind of sh- sh- change things up. And his instincts were always really good. So as long as I more or less got what I needed... I didn't, you know, mind him kind of going going wild. Uh, whereas a, an actor like uh, Roger Cross would always come back to my office after the read through and go through the script and, you know, you know, ask about, you know, dialogue changes. Whereas Zoe Palmer, who uh, played the android, would just text me, and she'd be like, "Hey, going over the script. Uh, can I have a few questions, or can I can I change this?" And then you had someone like Jodell Furland who never had questions, never had notes, and always did exactly, 
read the dialogue exactly as it was written in the script, exactly as you envisioned it in terms of delivery. So, yeah, I guess it kind of depends on a number of different things. And then everyone else would kind of vary. Sometimes, you know, Melissa would come by and we we would talk. But, um, you know, the same with Alex, who played uh, the character of Four. It sounds like you had kind of like an open an open philosophy like here's roughly what I need to happen in this episode and as long as we get here that's it sounds like you're pretty okay with it yeah I mean it television is always a collaborative effort and I I know some producers uh really it's like their way or the highway uh Mm -hmm. I personally don't think that makes for good television in the long run right I think everybody you know wants to contribute and you know, make the best possible show, and at the very least, you hear them out yeah. before saying no. And my, my, I mean, I know my management philosophy is always let smart people do smart things. Mm-hmm. Like you know, we're, we've all we've all been here. We all know where we are. So well, like you know, <laughs> that that's one of the things on Utopia Falls. Uh, creator R T Thorne uh, approached me about show running, and I was like, sure. And I, I told him, look, look. You know, when you feel comfortable enough to show run, it's your your show. You you know, you created. I'm happy enough to step away. And he's like, No, actually, I I really you know want you to show me the ropes. And mm-hmm. you know, he made the mistake that, for instance, like I think any new showrunner makes is you kind of micromanage in that you you've envisioned everything, every yeah. detail of your show, and so you're very particular about you what you want, and and which is fine. I mean. You know, all the department heads are professional, and they're going to try. They're going to give you exactly what you want. Uh, you know, within reason. Uh, you know, given the budgetary constraints. But after a while, it just becomes so exhausting. And he'd be there like every night till ten thirty. And I said, you know, the secret to being a great showrunner is to trust, like hire the best people, and then right. trust them to do their job. Delegate. Right. Let smart people do smart things. I exactly. love it. We're on the yes. we're on the same wavelength. It's awesome. So when I, and one thing I want to ask about the term showrunner, like you almost never see the term. In fact, I would say no. never see the term showrunner in like a in like a credits for a TV show. Why is that? Because I honestly did not know what the hell a showrunner was up until about. Yeah. Six years ago, I think we were talking. I was talking to a, a friend of mine about like something like the DC TV universe or something mm-hmm. like that, and they're like, "Oh well, so and so is show running that." I'm like, "What does that mean?" <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, obviously it's kind of in the name, you know, but I, like, yeah, a showrunner is an executive producer, but not all executive producers are showrunners. Right. So, <laughs> uh, a showrunner, as you said, as the name entails, uh, runs the show, so they oversee the writers' room. They usually do passes on all the scripts once we get into production. Once you get into prep, they oversee all the meetings. They sign off on construction. They sign off on props. They they attend the auditions. They sign off on auditions, the casting. Um, you know the every everything big and small. If they can be on on set, they will be. But more often than not, they're not, you know they can't be because they're usually prepping other episodes. Right. And then once we get into post, they're in the editing room and they're doing their own cut. They're dealing with the networks. They're dealing with uh, the production company. They're dealing with the actors or any other issues that come up. Okay. So like, but like, so why does nobody say 
you know, Joe Malazzi's a showrunner of of Dark, Dark Matter. Why are you? Why is your name not in the credits as a showrunner? I'm just curious. Yeah, is I, that just I, like a I, thing? I don't think I've never. I don't think I've ever seen the term showrunner as a credit, which is kind of I wild. Know. Usually, the showrunner yeah. credit comes at the end once the um, you know the show uh, the, the last frame fades. The first name that comes up is usually the showrunner, ex- oh, you know, executive okay. producer, whoever okay. that is. Yeah. That's that's a handy tip. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that's good to know because I mean, like, I always read about showrunners, like in you know the media and stuff like that, but I never like. They want to make it but, difficult for you to know. I guess they do. Yeah. And why is that? No, I'm just kidding. Um, so, all right, cool. So, what's next for Joe Malazzi? What do you have? What do you have? Work? Are you working on anything right now? Or I am. I'm. I'm working that on that. You can talk about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm. I'm working on. <sighs> I've always got like eight to 10 different projects in development or various stages of development because okay. to be honest with you, in this business, you never know what's going to land. I remember before right. Dark Matter landed, we were in development on uh, another series for a network and it, you know, the the um, the executives reached out and told us it's down to your show and another show. Uh, and we'd already heard that Dark Matter had passed. Uh, the network that we had been talking to Dark uh, with about Dark Matter had passed. So we're like, okay, we're going to be going doing this show, and they're like, we'll let you know within 24 hours you're going to hear. And then within 24 hours, th- that show was dead, and Dark Matter was miraculously uh, miraculously resurrected. We're moving <laughs> into production. So okay. you never know what's going to go. So I'm working on. You know, there was a um, Deadline Hollywood uh, article about it. I'm. Uh, uh, attached to showrun, an adaptation of the Powder Mage um, uh, uh, trilogy. I'm not sure if you're familiar with okay. those. I am um, not, but okay. <laughs> it's a, a terrific, terrific uh, fantasy series. Uh, how do you, how how, do, how would you call it? Uh, a flintlock fantasy series by Brian oh, okay. McClellan. Uh, okay. And so we're taking that out. Um, I have a sci-fi, uh, so contemporary kind of sci-fi comedy that we're taking out. I'm doing a couple of. Uh, uh, I'm developing an android murder mystery. I like my androids. I'm developing yeah, a <laughs> a show that came out saying combines uh, two of my favorite things: um, science fiction and K-pop. Uh, so, <laughs> developing that, uh, I was approached about a thriller, which is not usually in my wheelhouse. I mean, I love to read thrillers, but I've never mm-hmm. produced a thriller. Uh, so, I'm in discussion on that. I'm in discussion on this a wild um, sci-fi series that um, I can't say too much about, but it's based on a comic book. Uh, and uh, it's it's not mine. It's someone else's. Okay. Um, I want to say... Oh, there's... Yeah, you know, I think there are three or four other things, like pilots that are out. But, I mean, I don't know. Who knows? Right. Who knows? <laughs> Okay. And they range. They range from actually. There's some horror. There's a lot of sci-fi, of course, because that's my bread and butter. There's, you know, there's there's some that are not genre at all. Okay, I'm I'm still waiting for you to say Stargate. So um, yeah, sadly, keep, Stargate. Keep going until you say yeah. Stargate. <laughs> Stargate. I would not be on development of. That would be Brad or right. Robert Cooper, who were, you know, kind of the originators of the uh, of the uh, of the franchise. Um, and, you know, last I heard, Brad's script was out. He wrote a script for MGM, commissioned a script. He wrote it, then it went to Amazon, and then things went quiet. And then I've heard 
you know, talk of them talking to other people. Um, so I don't really know what's going on with Stargate. I think, I don't want to call them clueless, but a lot of the time executives don't really get what made, like if they're dealing with an established franchise, they don't really understand what made that that franchise a success. Hmm. So they'll just go with, um, um, what's it like a good example? Uh, um uh, yeah, I, 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 every day I try to do these. This day in sci-fi history, and right. I think it was today or, or yesterday. I was looking, and it was like Buck Rogers in the twenty-third uh, century or twenty-third half century, whatever. And uh, and it's like in this episode, Gary Coleman guest stars. And we look back on that now, and it's like, well, that's kind of silly having Gary <laughs> Coleman. But but at the time, he was the hot. He was actor. huge. He was huge. So I mean, he was on the show. So it's kind of no the same thing. I mean, you look back on Stargate, <laughs> and it has kind of stood the test of time. You know, it, it, what is it like three hundred and fifty hours of television? Yeah, uh, and people still go back and watch it. But for executives, that's not good enough. You know, it's not. You know, who, you know, they don't want to go <laughs> to the dance with who brought you there, right? They want to go with. You know the popular jock, so I think that's there's there, there's some of that happening. So I don't know how it'll it'll pan out, and yeah. um, you know if if they do end up, let's say, going with the jock and going with the hot prospect, who knows what the show will turn out like? And then you know I'm sure they'll they'll blame the fans for for either not watching or being critical. We'll see. Right, right, and and I mean. The the fans will be critical because, you know, it's kind of like why the reason I'm critical of the Cubs is because I want them to succeed so badly. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to I'm going to nitpick the hell out of them. And that's yep. just kind of how it works. You know, and it's the same thing with like reviewing technology. I want these things to be awesome. So yep. I'm going to point out why they're not, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, sim- a similar thing. So let me ask you this. I'm going to ask you. This is going to be the last Stargate question, I promise. Yeah, so no Stargate, Stargate's coming back. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Everybody's excited that Stargate is coming back. What is your ideal scenario, and what is your most realistic scenario concerning a continuation of the original series or a reboot, like a complete start from scratch, throw it, you know, throw the old, you know, rip up, the, flip over the buffet table, let's start from scratch. Like, what do you think is is going to be the most realistic scenario, and what do you think would be the most ideal scenario in your humble Okay, in, in my ideal scenario, you have the established fan base. Executives mm-hmm. realize that you have the established fan base, but they also realize that you can't just create a show for the established fan base. you got to create a show for new viewers. So right. you create a show that does the best of both worlds, a show that exists within the existing universe, but introduces the Stargate and these new characters in a way that everybody can get on board. And yet at the same time contains Easter eggs for longtime fans. So okay. um, it's an enormous hit. You know, it, it, the, the fans, longtime fans can get behind it. They, uh, you know, they get online, they make a lot of noise, they help launch it and it's a huge success. And, it's a huge success because Brad and Robert, who were, you know, involved in the creation of a one of the most successful franchises in television history, are behind, uh, you know, the new series. Yeah. Um, that's the ideal scenario. Uh, in 
a, I don't want to even say likely, but I guess maybe kind of a likelier scenario. Um, well, there can be the, the middle, the, the middle ground scenario is I think it's just as bad as the likely scenario. The middle ground scenario is like, okay, we're going to set, set it in the, um, uh, in the existing Stargate universe and they do kind of the same thing and they, um, introduce a new show, new characters, and they try to sort of bring in out of the old elements, but tonally it feels off and, uh, the existing history is uh is kind of mangled because the people okay. who are writing it don't really you know haven't really taken the time to uh immerse themselves in what came before or kind gotcha. of an easier l- likelier kind of lazier scenario is that they just reboot it and make it a completely different series and then That's anger totally the fans good. and uh you know and then basically the show doesn't do well and everybody's like ah you know th- th- no one wants to watch we a tried. show called and no one wants to watch a show called Stargate <laughs> we tried everybody we really yes. tried yeah that would be uh that would be i just i really think that um f- you know for what it's worth and you know this is coming from someone who's paid to give his opinion so i think i'm i have a little bit of a leg to stand on here but i i really just think that if you can keep the same kind of tone like the the not taking itself seriously. That was the part that I really enjoyed about it. You know, it should never get old general. I mm-hmm. love those, li- yeah. those lines. Um, you know, it, it, totally. If they can keep that same sense of humor and that same, like, yes, this is ridiculous. And we acknowledge that this is ridiculous and you know, we're just going to go with it, which I think honestly was kind of lacking from Stargate universe, which mm-hmm. is why I think there was such a backlash. I did not genuinely LOL watching Stargate universe until I want to say the tail end of season one, beginning of season two, like when there was actually a joke in there, like mm-hmm. when, when there was actually like something like, yes, this is ridiculous and we're going to hang a lantern on it. Well, like I that. always try to give, uh, Eli the funny lines but I mean yeah I, I, looking back I think when people ask me what was your favorite show to write for and I think for me it was SG-1 uh, okay. even though I got to do the humor in Atlantis I just felt more comfortable in the SG-1 arena so um, and I recognize sort of I think SGU was harder in that tonally it was very different which is why if you look at Dark Matter Dark Matter tonally really falls in kind of the same camp as SG-1 and Atlantis in that there's that kind of undercurrent of humor. All the characters are kind of funny in some mm-hmm. respect, and yet that doesn't detract from, you know, sometimes the 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 horrors of, uh, you know, what yeah. occurs. Well, and, and when you think about it, in, in Stargate Universe, you have all these people that are absolutely almost definitely never getting home. That sucks. Yes. And it's yes. not really a joking matter. And yes. I totally get that. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, that I guess that's a... Yeah, it was a, it's a different yeah. show. In fact, uh, you know, my wife loved Stargate Universe. And mm-hmm. and uh, she couldn't really get into SG-1 or, or Atlantis. But uh, you know, she was very upset. It only did, went two seasons. Well, nobody's perfect. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, anyway. So um, for what it's worth, I did give Stargate Universe a second run. And it was better, like, going into it knowing that the agenda had slightly changed, I was able to, you know, process it a little bit better. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it was a good show for what it was. But it was just, it was it was so detached from the original mm-hmm. universe. It was from the original tone. It was really hard to appreciate it on the same level. Right. I agree. I guess. Yeah, yeah. I understand. So. 
You know, it's it's it, it's it's like when you it's like she's not. I don't love her more, honey. It's just different. You know. Right. Anyway, uh, right. so yeah, let's uh, let's get out of that hole before we dig it any deeper. Um, okay, so this is beyond a doubt, and um, as 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 follows with this series, we are going to cap things off because I've kept you about as long as I said I was going to. So I really no, appreciate your time. I have the afternoon. Um, exactly. So, uh, so now we've got a little bit of a lightning round. Um, this doesn't, none of these questions require a whole lot of thought, just, you know, blurt out whatever comes out. And, um, and again, these are, I, I mentioned this to you off the air. These have been kind of tailored to an executive producer role as opposed to like a technology person, which is the normal fare for this type of show. But yeah, you are who you are. So when you say yes, you, you, you know, I gave you an open invitation. So. Oh, are these, are these yes, no questions or? Oh, I, no, no. These okay. are a little bit more, a little bit more in okay. depth. So, um, okay. So we will start with, are you a roamer or do you have one set location for work? And I understand that's going to depend depend on you know what what part of the process you are in like developing a show but yes. like just in general if you have to sit down at your computer and bang out some words are you doing it at home or are you doing I am it at doing a coffee it, shop I or? am doing it at home okay it right here on my, on my standing desk okay. looking out at my uh, snow filled uh, park with my dog <sighs> uh, whining beside me uh, that's if I'm in development if I'm in production I'm in my office right okay yeah because clearly, you know, you have you have a place that you need to be, yeah. so you can you can shot, call the shots, for, and everybody knows where to look. So, what is the last song or artist you listened to while working? Uh, being a big fan of K-pop, I think it was uh, Momoland. Bam. Okay. Wh- right. Whatever that means to you. It means nothing to me. Right. I'm a, I'm a metalhead, so okay. you, know, you can tell by the hair. Oh, Dreamcatcher. Um, that's okay. another K-pop right. song. Look, look, look. Okay, uh, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll Google it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, okay, so what is the one thing that you wish all studio executives knew about you or what you write going into, like, a pitch? Uh, first and foremost, I write character-driven shows with a sense of humor, and I, write, I, I produce... Um, if, I guess... I produce efficient production. So essentially, the you know, as I mentioned, the money that we get ends up on screen rather than frittered away on delays or, or what have you. Okay. All right. That's fair. And uh, how long does it take you to write a pitch from the first time an idea pops into your head to the time that you're actually building the PowerPoint? Like, what are we, what are we looking at there? Is it hours, days, months, years? What do you got? Honestly, it really depends on the pitch. Okay. Writing, writing the outline, the script is a lot shorter than writing the pitch. Coming up with the pitch can take months. And then writing okay. it, eh, maybe a week. All right. All right. Have you ever had an idea for a show that after writing it up was ultimately so bad you just decided to scrap it? And if so, you know, without naming names, can you give us a, like a little taste of what it was going to be? A show? God. Huh. Like you wake up really excited about something, you go and you write it down. You like you get to the point where like, this is terrible. What am I doing? <laughs> you know, I I can't say that because I feel as though it's happened to me a, a, a number of times where I've where I've come up with a pitch and I've pitched it or I've written a pilot and it's got no bites and I thought this is a terrible idea. I'm going to set it aside. And then years later, 
as just happened recently, someone, uh, a production company, I just signed um, an option on a, on a pilot that I essentially left for dead eight years ago. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So, like, there's no such thing as a bad idea, just, no. just bad timing. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. All right. All right. That's fair. Okay. So, so all right. Anyway, I, I was going to say, so what is it? But you probably can't talk about that. Anyway. <laughs> that one I can talk about. Yeah. I can't. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. So what's the part of executive producing a show that you enjoy the most? Is it the writing, the day-to-day stuff, the editing? You know, what's what's the part that you like, you get excited about? I think having a script come together is the most exciting just because, you know, there's nothing more daunting than a blank page or, you know, you know you have an idea for 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 an episode, but you have to break it down into five acts. You got to come up with those twists and turns, which are always very satisfying. You know, occasionally coming up with a solution to a problem uh, is, you know, is very inc- incredibly satisfying. Just you know, having an epiphany and and um, being able to fix an issue you have with a script. So a lot of it is script uh, centered. Uh, but also just seeing everything come together, seeing that first cut or or watching your finished episode with someone and with finished okay. visual effects and everything, it's uh, that's incredibly satisfying. I love it when a plan comes together. Exactly. Gotcha. Okay. All right. And actually, uh, you, you just inspired a new question that will be on this going forward All right. because it's it's actually highly relevant. But how do you deal with writer's block? Like what, what are some of the tricks that you do to get past it? Because I know I get it every now and then. Uh, and... Yeah. Remind myself of the deadline. That's a pretty good one. <laughs> okay. Uh, no pressure. <laughs> honestly, it really helps to work on other things as well so Hmm. if you're not feeling one project you gotta switch off and and work on something else um and then maybe just getting out more it's just funny when i used to drive i say used to i mean i still drive but i I just i'm living right downtown so i I haven't owned a a car in in three or four years but i always found that when uh, i would always for some reason i would always be able to work out script issues or come up with ideas. My best ideas, either when I was driving, hmm. whether I was in the shower, or when my ex-wife used to talk to me over dinner. Uh, when <laughs> I don't know what no, it was. Really, honey, I am like, listening. Yes, yeah. so, <laughs> Which is why she's an ex-wife. Yeah, but maybe, maybe. <laughs> um, and I think it's maybe because you are using a certain part of your brain to concentrate on whatever, driving listening or showering mm-hmm. and it frees up another part of your brain that you know you, you don't tap as often i think i don't know and uh it just allows you to sort of think outside the box i like it I li- and actually honestly some of the best conversations i've had have been with myself while driving <laughs> so- there you go there you go <laughs> so i can definitely get on board with that um so i'm gonna ask you this one this is Kind of tech industry centric, but mm-hmm. I think you might have an opinion here, considering your affection for K-pop influencers here to stay or a bubble waiting to burst. No, I think they're here to stay, and and yeah? I'm not. I, I mean, I think their arena or their platform may change, but um, I think they're here to stay. I think they're just like another form of celebrity, really, and celebrities have been with us. You know, forever, forever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. 
So who is a writer or a director that you follow religiously? Like as soon as they release some new content, whether it's a new show or a new movie or, you know, a YouTube channel, I don't know. Um, who, you know, who is, who is the person that you're like all over it? Huh. Maybe not anybody. <laughs> I gotta say, I mean, you know, there, there, there are certain you know writers and directors I enjoy, but perhaps an actor. Uh, now, even less than. I mean, I, I, okay. I mean, I, I, I like a lot of <laughs> actors, but there's never, there's never been like an, you know, a. Uh, uh, a director or writer who's released something where I've said I I have to absolutely go out and and see that or read that. I mean, I know it. you're not a you're not a techie, but any tech reviewers that jump in? Well, you, in you, oh, of thank course. you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you don't even know but, what but, I, you don't even know what site I work for. I, uh, <laughs> of course, that's, yeah, the one, the one that's online. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Uh, McKay's character. Right. <laughs> All right, that's fair. Um, okay, so um, if you weren't working in this field, what would you be doing for a living? Oh my gosh, what would I be doing? I don't know, hitman, uh, llama farmer. Um, wow. All right, <laughs> that's that's a, that's it's a bit of a range. I like I it. Don't you know? That's a good question. I mean, I've always enjoyed reading, and I'd like to think that had I the patience, I would be able to write a novel. But hmm. I don't know. So, for the record, I have had other people, other writers on this show that say, like, something writing just somewhere else. I mean, that is mm-hmm. that is a legitimate answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I don't know if I would have the patience or the talent for uh, for prose fiction. As much as I okay. love it, I have so much respect for, for authors. Um, but they do is very tough. A lonely, tough business. <laughs> so... And, and I, okay, so that that concludes the lightning round. But one other thing mm-hmm. uh, occurs to me that so Utopia Falls. How much of your K-pop fandom was influenced in that show? Zero, zero. That really? show, that show was one hundred percent hip hop, not K-pop. Okay. Oh, fair yeah. enough. Fair. See, I don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. So I gotta send you I, my uh, Spotify playlist. There you go. There you go. I probably won't listen to it, but you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome to send it over. Well, okay, Joe Malazzi, I wanted to thank you for uh, for giving me your time and for coming on to the show. I think it was uh, I think it was a good conversation. Yeah, it was, it was a lot really, of fun. I think it was fun to plumb the depths of you know not so much like specific show related stuff, but I like philosophically. I, I'm just fascinated mm-hmm. by like executive producing, probably because I'm such a control freak. Right. So um, I really appreciate you coming on and uh, taking the time to chat with me and for everybody who tuned in live or is listening to the high quality feed later i want to thank you for listening and for giving us the benefit of the doubt